When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're talking about snakes. Snakes. Lots of them. I can't imagine what it would be like to be there in that throne room with Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh, and all of the magicians that are there. And Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. Well, first the Egyptian or the Egyptian uh, sorcerers also throw down their staffs, the magicians of Egypt. And it's the same expression that they are able to do this through their secret arts. Um, each one of them throws down the staff and then Aaron's it says Aaron's staff, which is also a snake, swallows them up. And even though this happens, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Um, magic tricks don't work on hard hearts. Um, that's sort of the lesson of Pharaoh and his tribulations, is that no matter what he sees, he interprets it through his hardened heart. It all gets filtered through his hardened heart. And he cannot really see what's happening in front of him. He cannot see the hand of God at work. But I still think it's a really cool trick. This is the same trick that God taught Moses at the burning bush when Moses said, well, how will I convince Pharaoh to let my people go? And God says, throw down your staff. And he throws it down and it becomes a snake. And he says, pick it up by the tail. And he picks it up and it stops being a snake. What is up with all the snakes in the story of Moses? Uh, Moses is credited with writing the five books of Moses. Jesus says that Moses wrote the five books of Moses. Critical scholars today might say that other people wrote these stories or other people edited them, or maybe Moses simply edited them. He was literate. We imagine him growing up in Egypt um, in the Pharaoh's household in a literate society, we can imagine him being someone who could read and write and was fully capable of doing something like this, writing all these stories down. And the story of humanity has a snake in it, Adam and Eve. Eve meets the snake in the garden and the snake talks to her and they have a conversation and then Adam shows up and they eat the fruit together that the snake has convinced them to eat. The snake is a bad guy in the story. He is cursed and is told to crawl on his belly all the days of his life and eat the dust. And the snake slithers off. The snake later is compared to that serpent of old, the devil. Um, But in the story of Adam and Eve, he's not the devil. He's not Satan. He's just a snake (laughs) who says stuff, a talking snake. And here we have another snake. Um, which this snake is good, ostensibly. Hard to say if it's good or not, but this snake is working on the side of God to try to convince Pharaoh and Moses earlier that God's power was real. So a strange thing is happening. Later, we'll meet another snake um, when the people of God are in the wilderness and they complain about the lack of meat and they 
complain about the manna that God feeds them with, and they complain about some other things. God sends poisonous serpents amongst them, and these poisonous serpents are in their shoes and in their luggage bags and in their uh, glove compartment, and they start biting them, and the people start dying, and God tells Moses to take a, make a bronze snake, a snake out of brass, and put it up on a pole for everyone to look at. If they look at that snake, they'll be healed. What's up with these snakes in the life of Moses? So many snakes, it seems. Um, in this case, the snake is a sign of God's power. And the other, the first, he's, the snake is a symbol or a representation of temptation and that human proclivity to ask the question why and then wonder why and then do the very opposite of the thing we're told not to do. And then the, the snake here, though, is really a symbol of God's power, a symbol that what you see is not all there is. You can look at a staff that someone's carrying, and you can, it can look like a staff, but God can do whatever God wants with that staff. Now, the, the, the magicians of Egypt can do this too. Um, I don't know what's going on. Many have speculated over the years, was Moses and Aaron and the Egyptian sorcerers walking around with a rare breed of snake that pretends to be a walking stick most of the time until you drop it and it turns it... Um, I don't know what was going on. I don't know how they did this. Um, the Egyptians are doing it with the power of evil, with secrecy, the secret arts. Again, we see the power of God is an open secret. There are no secrets with God. All of God's secrets are very clear. Let my people go. God wants liberation, deliverance, freedom. Whenever we're, whenever we're in a dilemma, an ethical dilemma, um, whether it's how we treat people in our community and society that are in need, how we treat vulnerable people, how we treat people that are different than us, um, whatever ethical decision we have, the answer is usually quite simple if we look at it through this lens. Let my people go. That's what God is always saying. Let my people go. God is saying it to, about the Hebrew people in enslavement. He's saying it to people today. And these snakes are the signs of that open reality of God. The magicians of Egypt have a secret way of doing this through their secret arts. But it, the Lord says to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. This is the other plot line that runs through the Exodus story, is that Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God. And it's also hardened by Pharaoh. Every time Pharaoh's confronted with another judgment, another word from Moses, another plague, he hardens his heart. It also says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart to speed up the process of deliverance. Um, if Pharaoh keeps going back and forth, soft heart, hard heart, soft heart, um, they might stay in Egypt forever. So it is the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that is the thing that is driving the movement to deliverance. Pharaoh will keep escalating his evil, and, and God will keep escalating the judgment upon Pharaoh until finally that breaking point happens, and Pharaoh says, fine, you can go. And the first plague is poured out. The river Nile turns to blood, and not just red food coloring. It turns into something that they can't drink, 
and it turns into something that all the fish can't die. In fact, like it says here, it turns into blood. There's a lot of symbolism here that the Nile is worshipped. The Nile is the source of all Egyptian wealth and power and prestige. It's the thing that floods every year, and they can save the water and irrigate these crops and have an abundance of grain. People come from all over the world to buy it. They become wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And the, the pyramids are still there today, a testament to the wealth generated by the Nile. But now the river stinks. It's turned to blood. The fish are dying. And then it says that the magicians of Egypt can also turn the river to blood somehow, some way. I'm not sure how they do this, but they somehow pull it off. Again, we see that all Satan can do is counterfeit the truth. Satan can never produce a truth. Satan can never produce a good thing. Evil can never produce anything good or anything whole. It can simply produce counterfeits. So if you ever um, are trying to discern what is what you should do, what path you should follow, um, look for what's real and what's a counterfeit. Um, Satan's work is always a counterfeit. But counterfeits are also really hard to tell if they're counterfeits. If you had seen the snakes there, you might thought they were the same snake that Moses made. If you saw the river turn to blood, um, you might think it was God that did it. This is the deceptive nature of evil. And these magicians uh, are there in the story. But God is delivering God's people. And then we fast forward all the way down through space, time, and history to the magicians that come to see the baby Jesus. They come not from Egypt, but from the east. But they are also magicians, magi, who come to see the baby Jesus and worship him and give him gifts. So even in this story, we can see the seeds of God's whole delivering program for all of humanity through Jesus Christ. This is the point, that, that the direction that this is moving in. This is where God is taking God's people. Um, through these plagues, um, through these hardships, but ultimately to break the heart of Pharaoh, because that is what God is doing for all of us. God is turning hearts of clay into hearts of flesh that beat again. Um, Has your heart been hardened through the things that you've been through? Maybe through the judgments you've experienced, maybe from God, maybe the temptations of the devil, maybe the hardships of life, maybe the failures and setbacks of just living and existence. Um, If your heart gets hardened, that can be a very dangerous thing. And that is what Jesus has come to do, to turn hearts of stone and clay into hearts of flesh. So I invite you today to open your heart to God. Don't be like Pharaoh in the story. Moses, for all his troubles and all his his limitations and uh, pettiness and anger and all the things that he does, All through the story, his heart is beating with a heart of flesh, a heart of love, a heart for his people to be delivered, because that is the same heart that God has. God has heard the cries of his people in Egypt. He has heard their cries, and he's come to save them with a mighty arm. And God has heard your cries. As the psalmist said earlier, I cry to you in the morning. Maybe you woke up today and you started crying. 
Maybe it was an internal cry because you were around people you didn't want to hear. Or maybe it was out loud while you're driving or wherever you're going. But God hears your cries. God is coming to deliver you. But it takes a while and it takes a process. And there's other hearts involved like Pharaoh's. And all those hearts are being transformed into beating hearts of flesh, the same heart that God has for you and for the world. Amen.